Ephesians chapter number five. I'm personally really enjoying this series that we're in, Christian, Discover the Meaning of the Truly Christian Life. I'm enjoying it because what we're doing is often we'll journey through a book of the Bible, and I think that's very important to do regularly as a church. Uh, But right now, we're taking selected passages and I say I'm enjoying it because these are some of my favorite passages, so hopefully you're enjoying it as well. But what we're looking at are really key key passages to vibrant, meaningful Christian living. Not to just say, I am a Christian, but to look at our lives or for others to look at our lives and see these distinctive marks, these distinctive characteristics. So we've looked at several, and today we come to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to talk about true love. True love from Ephesians chapter number 5. Let's look at the first two verses. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling savor. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you'd help us as we study the Bible today. I pray that you'd give me clarity of speech as we explain the, the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church to have clarity of mind and to be focused on how you want to speak. Lord, we know that your presence is here. We're gathered in your name and you've promised to be among us. But it's, it's up to us to recognize and experience your presence. And we've done that through our singing, our giving, our fellowship. And now as we come to the word, would I pray that we'd experience your presence now. Lord, I need your help to deliver this message, and we as a church need your help to receive it. So we come expecting. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Walk in love. You saw that in verse number one. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Well, the songwriter said, love is all you need. All you need is love. And I think we as Christians, if you've been in church for a while, you bristle at that a little bit. Well, actually, there's two extremes. There's a type of, there's a, there's a form of Christianity that that is the motto of their Christian expression. All you need is love. Love is all you need. And then you have this opposing group on the other, other side that says, Well, you know there's more to the Bible message than just love, don't you? I mean, what about obedience and faithfulness? And so we've got these kind of contrasting perspectives that sometimes come into play. So the question is this, is all you need love? Is that really the the sum and total of the Christian life? I'm actually going to propose to you this morning that yes, As a Christian, love is all you need. I think the problem, though, is this. In our modern concept, we have reduced love. We have reduced love to a type of emotional or physical passion, right? And I think that song that was written that's been just become part of our culture that statement, all you need is love, it's speaking in a lot of ways about an emotional or a romantic type of love. Is that love? 
Well, of course it is. But is love more than that? Well, of course it is. And this passage of Scripture, actually, those two opposing ideas that we, we spoke about at the beginning, that, well, you know, the Christianity is about just, just love each other. And then over here, well, Christianity is about obedience and faithfulness and duty. Ephesians chapter 5, just like many other passages, harmonizes that those two views perfectly by giving us an understanding of true biblical love. And true biblical love is not, it, of course it involves emotion, it involves passion, but it is more than that. It is more encompassing. In fact, it encompasses a full vision of life. Some of you know this, and a little bit of background to give you today. In the Greek language, there, which would have been the spoken language of the day when the New Testament was written, there's really four words that you can find as you study Greek that are that the Greeks would use to describe love. In English, we have multiple words, of course, but we know that even in Eng English, our word love, it encompasses a broad understanding of meaning. Well, the Greek language actually, it broke it up a little bit, and it explained different aspects of what we think of as love with individual words. So for some of you, you've heard this before, and I, on your notes this morning, I gave you these four words that you'll find uh, often used to refer to different expressions of love. One is the Greek word eros, and eros speaks of a romantic kind of love, a we're coming up next week on Valentine's Day. That's the, that's the kind of love we're talking about here. Eros is that romantic, passionate, burning type of love. Then there's the word philia or phileo, and that's, you've, we're, familiar, uh, we're familiar with the word Philadelphia. This is the idea of a brotherly love or a friendship. Now, the word actually um, is, is found all throughout the Bible. It's one of the most common words for love is this idea of philia. And it's speaking of a friendship and a brotherhood that's there. All of these are expressions of love. Then there's the third word, which is storge, which is a familial love. That's the love within a household, the love within a family. Aren't you already starting to pick up that when we use love, we carry these meanings with it depending on what, where and how and in what circumstance we're expressing it? And then, the, in fact, interestingly enough, the, the word storge doesn't appear all by itself in the Bible, but it is combined with the word philia. So they put philia and storge together, and in your Bible, in your King James Version, you'll see it translated brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness are those two words together that you'll find in the Bible. And then the last is the word agape. Now some have said, well, that's God's kind of love right there, agape love. It is one of the most commonly used words for love in the Bible, but I think to say that that is God's love might be a little bit, um, it, that might be mistaken because think of this. So agape is the idea, if you're taking notes here, we said eros is a romantic love, philia is a love of friendship or brotherhood, storge is a familial love, and agape is a sacrificial love. You'll read about it in, uh, in the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where in the King James it says charity. It talks about charity. This is that agape love. And so some have said that God's love is that agape love, the others are human loves, but we know that all of love finds its source in God. And so I would say you'd have to put all of this together to get a full range of meaning on what we think of 
is love. And so when we think of God, I would submit this, that God's love, as one author put it, is a holy love. It is a love that is matched with his holiness, and it is unlike any other love in and of itself. It is, the, it is more than the sum total of every varied expression of love that we could have. So, let's see then what Ephesians chapter 5 says about true love. How, it, how does the Bible unpack this? How do we understand it? Well, first of all, if you turn your notes over, I've just got two main points today. First of all is the disposition of love. The disposition of love. What is its disposition? What is it like? How would you describe it? How, what, is the, what is the attitude of love? Well, notice the verse, in, notice the ex- explanation in verses 1 and 2 again. Let's just take a little bit of time on, this, on these first two verses. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, just looking at these two verses, you tell me all the words here. Let's do a quick little Bible study together. Maybe you've got a pen, you can circle or do whatever. Give me the obvious ones and maybe the hidden ones that speak to you about love in this passage. What word, and I'll let you participate with me this morning, what words in here point to God's love? What do you got? What do we got first? Yep. Beloved. Okay, so you're you're getting it. I would say, yeah, absolutely, offering. That's going to get us there. Let's just work through it here. Ready? Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Any love words in there? Dear, dear, that's like uh, when you're, when I remember when I was dating my wife and you start those, you start those uh, first notes that you write to you and you, and that, you know, all through, all through your, your childhood, you're taught to write letters and stuff, dear grandma, dear mom, you know, dear, 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 and then you start to feel something for somebody and you're like, you're like, oh, I'm going to write this word now. But this is speaking, obviously, about children and their love for their parents as dear children. In the Bible, you'll find often the phrase dearly beloved. It's in there. This, so there we go. So there's love right there. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in. That's the obvious one right there. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us. What, what's Any other love words in there anybody sees? Given given himself for us. We already said an offering and then a what? Sacrifice. An offering and a sacrifice. I think all of these, if you're starting to pick up where we're headed with this, all of these speak about the disposition, the quality of a truly Christian love. So first of all, I want you to notice this as we're speaking about, I want to show you something about the the, the grammar here in between the verses. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Now that word and that begins verse number two, it's the idea of using and like, uh, like for instance, um, if I said to my, my son or my daughter, I want you to, listen, I want you to obey me and take the dog out. What am I saying? That use of and is not, they're not two separate things, Right? We're not saying, I want you to obey me on one hand, and then I want you to take the dog out on the other hand. 
right? What we're saying is the way that you express your obedience is by doing what? Taking the dog out. That's the grammar of this conjunction and here. The way that you follow God is by what? By walking in love. The way that you follow God is by walking in love. Now, the first disposition, the first thing or the first characteristic that I would point out here to this disposition of love is this, that first of all, love entails submission. Love involves submission. Be ye therefore, what's the word? Followers. Be ye therefore followers. This is not the, this is not the position of first place. This is the second place position. This is the I will come behind and I will learn. You will speak and I will listen. You will direct and I will go. I will become a follower. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said to his disciples, he, he spoke often to them and he said, you are my disciples and a disciple is a follower if you do what I've commanded you. It's this idea of submission. Now, in, if you study the Bible, you'll find this. Interestingly, Christ submits to the Father. Now, Christ is equal with the Father, right? We're Trinitarian. We, we believe in the Godhead, that, that Father, Son, and Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit are, are all co-equal. Yet, in that co-equality, what does the Son do with the Father? The Son submits. Jesus submits to the Father. So, Christ submits to the Father, the church submits to Christ, and we submit to each other. We submit to each other. We live in a day and age where people's primary focus is their own expression, right? They want to define everything about themselves. They want to say that I am independent. I go my way. I go to the beat of my own drum. Whereas the message of Christianity is exactly the opposite. It says, lose yourself and become a follower. And God says, you love me, you want to love me. Your love will be expressed in your willingness to submit and your willingness to follow. Now, let's point out a little bit more about this. This theme runs throughout the New Testament. In fact, I gave you Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10. Look what this says. Be kindly affectioned one to one another with brotherly love. Boy, there's a lot of love in this verse, right? Lots of love in here. But he's not speaking about a feeling of love. Although kind, affection, and all that, there is a feeling that accompanies that. But he's giving us a physical, practical expression of how we are to love. If we're going to follow God, we take the example of Jesus. And the example of Jesus is to submit to the Father. We submit to Christ, and then, as this says, we submit to one another by doing what? Some of you, I saw you, you're like afraid to say it. By, by doing what? Yeah, exactly, by preferring one another. That would look, I think, Aaron, you could help me with this, so let's try this out. I think if Aaron is paying attention, he's going to understand how this works, all right? So if Aaron's paying attention, we come to the set of stairs, and I say, after you, sir. No, no, please, that you go. 
Oh, no, no. I, 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 I insist. No, you, you've got to go. I, I'm going to sit down. <laughs> All right. This is that standoff. This is like that standoff when it's time to pay for the check at lunch, right? Well, some of you are like, oh, go ahead, take it, take it, you know? In honor, prefer me, right? Right? This is the idea in the, in the church. It's not about me. Really, it's about you. Uh-oh, but it's not really about you because you should be saying, no, Ethan, it's actually about, yeah, you, it's about me. But then I respond, no, it's not about me. But then all of us just wake up into reality and say, oh, well, it's not about you or me. It's about Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about him. That's why I don't come to church primarily. Listen, I don't come to church primarily to have my needs met. Just let that sink in. Because that, but you know what? Sometimes I do. That's the problem. Sometimes I do. Right? We could sit here and we could have a little talk and somebody could say, well, no, you know, no, church, of course it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about You know what? If it's really about Jesus, then you and I will yield to one another. We will prefer one another. Listen, it's difficult. I'm just going to tell you this. It is difficult in 2022 to have a multi-generational church. I just want to give you that perspective from leadership. Okay? It is very difficult to have a multi-generational church in a day and age where our culture is moving in a thousand different directions. But the truth is, that's the biblical mandate. It's not just multi-generational, though, but a church should be multi-generational. It should be multi-ethnic. It should be multi-socioeconomic. All of us coming together for the glory of God, preferring one another. That's why, just be careful. It starts to, how do you know if you're, if you're experiencing this kind of love or you're not, or you've drifted away? What is your attitude after you've assembled with the saints? What are you taking away from the assembly? What is the car ride home like? Is the car ride home, well, so-and-so, I don't like the way they spoke to me. Or I'm not sure I like the attitude. You see what I'm saying? These things creep into people's lives. And we've got to be constantly on guard. Because what the devil would like to do more than anything else in a church is sow seeds of division to divide. And that's why over and over again, you're going to walk in love, I'm going to walk in love. We've got to do what Christ said. And Jesus said, hey, you know what? Right in his hour of temptation, right before he went to the cross, he knelt down with a towel and he washed the feet of his disciples. All you need is love. But it's a love that submits. Also, it's a love that imitates. It's a love that imitates. Move, well, we haven't really moved very far past this first verse, have we? Be therefore followers of God. Back to Ephesians 5, 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. It's, a, it's an imitation kind of love. 
Now, not imitation in the sense that it's, that it's not the real thing, but imitation in the form of mimicking or copying. That Greek word used here, followers, is not actually the, primarily the word for disciple. It's the word for an imitator that says, I want to be like you. It says, be a follower, be an imitator, be a copier of God. It's like, I think, every, I don't know how this happens. It's something wired in the DNA of every person that they're born, when they're born, that about the time they turn six years old, they learn how to be the copycat. Right? You remember your, who's got a little, who's got a little brother or sister? Who's got seven little brothers or sisters? <laughs> the, the, no one got, ooh. Talking about brotherly love burns. He, he just, if you didn't hear him, he said, no one copied you. All right, so um, <laughs> I, I got to recover now from that. You know what I mean? So the imitation. I've told the story a couple times. Too, I've told it too recently, so I'll try not to tell it again. But uh, you haven't all heard it. When I was a kid, now, now what kind of imitator here? An imitator or a follower of God, but in a certain way, as dear children. So this isn't like as annoying children who annoy each other, copying each other. It's the opposite. It's when you see a little boy want to be like his dad, or a little girl follow her mom around. That's what it's saying here. When I was four, my parents asked me what I wanted for my birthday. Some of you are already chuckling because you've heard this. I, I've told it too much. They wanted, what, what do you want for your birthday? And four-year-old four Ethan said, I want a briefcase. Believe it or not, I asked for a briefcase for my birthday at four. Do you know, but you know, you know where I'm going. Do you know why I wanted a briefcase? You know why. Because every day... My dad got up and he left the house, and before he left, I didn't know where he was going or what he was doing, but I sure knew before he left, he always picked up his briefcase. Aaron used to give me such a hard time for that, such a hard time for that, but his son, Maddie now walks around with a little computer bag everywhere he goes. That's satchel. I stand corrected. But when Maddie does it for some reason, Aaron doesn't roll his eyes so much. Be followers of God as dear children. It's imitation. Imitation. We, when we imitate God, we are to imitate his holy love. Two things about God's nature that the Bible reveals to us. There's really two attributes that the Bible gives us as all-encompassing. The first is 1 John 4, 8. And in 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says, He that loveth knoweth not God. He that loveth not, I'm sorry. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. But there's a second reference, and on your handout it's Ephesians 5, 21, but that's a mistake. It's actually, that's a typo. You can cross that out. It's 1 Peter and Gideon, I think we have that one. There we go. I think it's 1 Peter 1.15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. 
in all manner of conversation. That means in every way that you live your life. So on the one hand, we're called, the Bible clearly calls us to imitate his love. On the other hand, we're called to clearly imitate his holiness. One, one author, David Wells, he put that together in his book, God in the Whirlwind. He describes that as the holy love of God. The holy love of God. That's what we imitate. Love coupled with holiness. So we're starting to get a little bit clearer definition, aren't we? Starting to get a little clearer picture of when somebody says, well, all you need in the Christian life is just love. Well, I can get on board with that if we're defining the term properly. A holy love. Now, the, the last thing I'll point out in this, in this first section this morning, as we see the disposition of love, there's submission, we're followers of God, there's imitation, and thirdly, as dear children, there is adoration. As a child, as a child looks up and says, I want to be like my dad, I want to be like my mom, it's, it's because in their heart they have come to adore that person. They just love them. They can't help but love them. And it's interesting, as we get a little bit older, we start to realize that those parents that we adored have some faults and flaws of their own, don't they? And that wonder with mommy or daddy starts to wear off a little bit. But you know what? With, with God, he is a perfect father. It never wears off. He never loses his temper. He never is impatient. There's not, an, there's not a shred of hypocrisy with him. He's perfect. So he is to be eternally and reverently adored. We come to him in worship, in praise, and in adoration. That is the disposition of his love. That is the disposition of love that we are called to have as we follow as Christians. But secondly, we move to the next section of the passage. We see the disposition of love, but now I want you to notice the dedication of love. If love is truly present, if this all-encompassing holy love is really present in our lives, then it changes us. It transforms our behavior. Notice what happens. First of all, the Bible says that because of this love, there should be some holy behaviors in our lives. Pick it up now in verse number 3. There's a conjunction in verse number three, but, okay, so we've talked about how important it is to love God. He loved us. Love him, love him, love him. That, that's the a purpose of our Christian life. And now verse number three, but on the other hand, there are some behaviors that should never be present in your life, ever, not one time. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children 
of disobedience. Whoa, Paul, you're sounding awfully legalistic there. Oh, man, that's kind of hardcore. Like, can't we just get back to the, you know, all you need is love? And this crowd over here is like, that's right, I thought we'd finally get to it. You know, it's time to drop some standards and some righteousness and some holiness over here. And really, I'm not unpacking anything this morning that has not been explained many times. Nothing original to me. But it is probably, in my estimation, for what that's worth, the biggest, the, the biggest mis- misconception of all of Christianity is this reconciling of this love that we're called to and these commands of obedience that we're called into. But it's... The Bible makes it very clear. He says this, you love God so much. Well, isn't it enough just to say I love you? Well, let me give you an illustration that one of the, one of the folks at church and I were talking about this actually this week. It's a very helpful illustration to think about this. If I said to you, I love my wife so much, I mean, she means the world to me. I just love her, love her, love her, love her, love her. Oh, I love, 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 love her. And then, let me tell you about my three or four girlfriends that I have on the side. What would, you, what would you say? You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those words are cheap. Because when I took a marriage vow, I, I didn't just say, I will love you. I, will say, I said, and forsaking all others, keep the only to myself so long as I live. You see, because true love, if I'm gonna, in a marriage, I'm going to, who would say, who would say, if, if I said, you know what, in my marriage, it's, it's me and my wife, that's it, I'm faithful to my wife, who would say, well, that sounds like an awfully legalistic marriage to me? Who would ever say that? Now, on the other hand, if my marriage was only about duty, I told you I loved you when I married you, I still mean it today. What do you mean I have to say it more often? Well, who would want to be in that marriage either? You tracking with me? You get the point here? It's not, it, it's, it's, it's not either or. The point is this. Love, love results in a single devotion. A committed relationship is the basis of true love. And God says this in this passage. Yes, you need to feel love for God. You need to have love for the brethren. But it also, if it's a true love, it ought to change some things about your life. The Apostle John would say, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. You can't love your spouse and have illicit relationships at the same time. They're not, it doesn't work. It's not love. So look what he says here. You see, what it, what it is is this. It's obedience driven by affection. That's the balance. It's not obedience driven by me saying, well, I'm a great Christian. I'm a wonderful, self-righteous guy. No, it says, you know what? I love the Lord, and so by his grace, I'm going to keep only to him. I'm going to keep only to him. That's true love. That's biblical love. And so he says here, listen, 
fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. Regardless of where the culture moves, regardless of where the culture moves, Jesus expects his children to be sexually pure. Boom. That's the that's end of the sentence. But what about end of the sentence? It is a non-negotiable of the Christian life. And I have in recent years been astounded at the flippancy with which many Christians approach sexuality. And I'm not getting into all the, the gender confusion and 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 the, the and sexual perversions. I'm just talking about about tra- traditional sexuality and how Christians have become very lax. Those of you that are that are dating or preparing for dating relationships, you are, you are called as a Christian to be pure. One hundred fornication involves any uncleanness sexually in your life of the mind or the body. The scriptures teach. For those of us who are married, we're not pure until marriage. The marriage bed itself is pure and undefiled, and purity is to be maintained between husband and wife in that marriage. We're called to be pure people. Simple, straightforward command. A lot of people argue about secondary issues and this standard and that rule and how we should live about this. There are certain things the Bible is just expressly clear about. Fornication here and covetousness. Desires, selfish desires. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. That becometh saints, it means it is not appropriate, it is not becoming of a holy person in Christ. That's what a saint is. A saint is a is a, a sinner who's been saved. It's a Christian. And he says that these behaviors are unbecoming of God's children. First thing he says is that if you're going to truly love, you will keep yourself sexually pure. But not just purity of the body, but purity of speech as well. He says in verse number four, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting. This isn't the idea of good-natured humor. This is in the same context of coarse and crude jokes. What makes up much of the comedy that our culture celebrates today. The, The crudeness and the perverse talk. Coarse language. These are words that they just don't belong. Christians are to be marked by purity. Your co-workers, your co-workers should never hear profane words come from your mouth. Why? Because you're better than them? No. Because you belong to Jesus. Because you love Jesus. Now verse 5, I want you to notice this. We're going to shift. Holy behaviors come from holy belonging. Holy behaviors come from a place of holy belonging. Verse 5, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, wow, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, 
hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Does that mean, Ethan, are you saying that if I slip up, if I fall into one of these sins, that I've lost my place in the kingdom of God? Nope, you've got to stay with the passage. That's not what it's teaching. It's talking about two different groups of people. First off, he says that he, he describes these, these, these individuals who behave this way. And now look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the, what's the phrase? Children of disobedience. Now verse 7 is key to the whole passage. Verse 7 is the key. Be not ye, therefore, partakers, how? With them. If you're a Christian, are you the them in this verse? No. Who is the them in the verse? The them are people without Christ. The them are the world doing what it does best, being the world. The world saying, and Paul never tells us to be surprised at how bad the world is. He's never, he never does it. The scriptures never tell us to be surprised at how bad the world is. In fact, the world does a good job at being the world. Wouldn't you agree? The world's doing a great job. Children of disobedience, they don't belong to Jesus. They, they don't desire to belong to Jesus. So the world goes about its own way, fulfilling its own desires. And the Bible says because of that, though, the children of disobedience, as opposed to the children of God, the children of disobedience, unless they repent, they are going to receive the wrath of God. But praise the Lord, you and I as Christians, we do not have to fear the wrath of God. We've been saved by His grace, by His love, by His mercy. So Paul says, so then why would you partake with those who don't know the love of God? Why would you go behave as if you're... Why would you behave the way the world behaves when you don't belong to the world anymore? You belong to Jesus. In fact, he goes on to describe us as... So we're not... I'm not a child of disobedience. I'd be a child of obedience. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. Hey, there was a time in your life where you belonged where? In the... In the darkness. He says, there was a time in your life when you belonged in the darkness, and people who are in the dark do dark things. But now, oh, isn't that a great statement right there? But now. Some of you can remember a time in your life when you were in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. You were brought out of the darkness. The light of the world shined into our hearts. We believed on Christ. He's taken us, the scriptures say, he's translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You're a child of the king. You're a child of light. So walk. Live as a child of light. Live that way. Let the fruit of the Spirit, verse 9, let the fruit of the Spirit flow out of you. It's in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Hmm. Put it to the test. Lord, I love you. Will this bring honor to you? Verse 11. 
and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Holy behaviors flow out of a holy belonging. Obedience comes from my identity in Christ. Jesus is mine. Forever my soul has a home. Why? Because of his great love. Now I live my life as a demonstration of my love for him. It's like, Jesus, if that's true, if you are mine and you've given me a home forever, you've brought me out of this world, it's not legalism to obey you. It's not bondage. In fact, and I wish I had time to, to follow another path, but I, but I don't, but, but not only is it not bondage, but these prohibitions that the Bible gives us actually lead not, not even close to bondage, they lead us into greater blessing and greater abundance and joy. All the, all the thou shalt nots of the Bible are, are written for our flourishing and our blessing. So yeah, all you need is love, but it's a pure love. It's a holy love that Jesus demonstrated for us when he hung on the cross, when he gave himself as a sacrifice, that sweet-smelling savor to God, when he said, I will die for you, and you have to do nothing but receive it. And now that I've received it, if he said, I will die for you, it is my reasonable service to live for him. To live for him. All you need is love. True love. So I always come to two questions at the end. Don't pack up on me yet. I come to two questions at the end. First of all, have you received the holy love of Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you understood that you were a lost sinner on your way to hell and that Jesus died and rose again for you. Say, well, I, I understand that. Have you acted on that? Have you believed on Jesus? Have you, has there been a time in your life where you said, Lord, I do believe, please save me. If that's never happened, I want, you to, I want to invite you to receive the love of Christ today. Be saved today. That's the first question. If you've not received Jesus, will you do that today? And the second question is this. Christian, what do you need to repent of this morning? Because that behavior makes a mockery of the love of Jesus. God might be pricking your heart right now, saying, you say you love me, but this is in your life. You're a Christian. You'll never have to pay for that sin. Jesus paid for it. Will you surrender it back to him and walk in obedience? Could you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heads bowed, the eyes closed. This is a moment to purify your love. In a minute, we're going to sing a hymn of praise, a song of adoration to Jesus. If you sing, will you be singing from a pure heart?
Tonight, we're going to receive communion. When you take the cup and when you eat the bread, will you be participating from a pure heart and a pure life? This is a moment of cleansing. In a minute, we'll, I'll, I'll be quiet and you can pray. I want to encourage you, if there's something you need to repent of, do it this morning. Repent. And let Jesus' love purify your heart afresh and anew. That's for you, believer. But if you're here or you're listening this morning and you've never received Jesus, will you call on him right now? You can pray a prayer similar to this. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you love me, you gave yourself for me, and you rose again for me. And right now, I ask you to save me. I ask you to save me. If you've never prayed that prayer or given your heart to Jesus in that way, I want you to ask you to do it right now. Christian, as the, as the musicians play, Take a moment and let God examine your heart. that as we lift up this song that we would sing and worship from pure and holy hearts this morning. Lord, we know we'll never be all we should be, but I pray that each day you'd be changing us and, and transforming us into who you can make us to be. We pray that you'd receive our praise and worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.